love it. I see somebody says they got a fever and the only prescription is more intro. Just know that intro is now available on Spotify. And Spotify said starting 2024 that they're not paying artists that have less than a thousand plays. So just play it on repeat. Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Miles, on another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the channel, please hit like, hit subscribe, and don't forget to hit that notification bell so you're alerted whenever we go live, as we're constantly doing new shows, doing cross shows on other channels. Tomorrow, I'll be doing a new show again. I'll be doing a pop life with my friend Conan. We're talking about what is to make of independent artists with changes in Spotify, like I just mentioned. And also, Fall of Bandcamp is tomorrow at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, of course, 9 p.m. Eastern. Also, before we start, I want to remind people that tickets are still available for the Meet and Greet book launch event in the San Francisco Bay Area for my first book, mini book, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be a good time in the Bay, my hometown, not necessarily my town. But actually, where a lot of my family lives. Um, but we're going to be doing the event. Wherever you're watching or listening to the show, there's links in the description. I have some friends from the scene. When I say the scene, I mean like the original scene, like old school Bay Area thrash punk metal guys. It's going to be so much fun. Chris Contos from Machine Head, Craig LoCicero from Forbidden, Rick Huno. Original guitar player of Exodus, just to name a few. We're going to be doing a meet and greet, um, a Q&A. So much fun. Um, someone says that I see that the Gooning Norm clip went big last night. I don't know. The reason why Toussaint share, is sharing this right now before I bring her in um, is because as we were having our early midday meeting, of booking shows for this month and next month um we always look at and by we i mean me the top 10 shows on the channel and i saw that was a top 10 show on the channel and we both started cracking the hell up so <laughs> whoever is making the norm gooning episode go go uh mildly viral uh thank you but we actually saw how much money that that clip has made us, and it made a whopping $4.08. That being said, please welcome the faceless voice of reason in Tucson. Hello, hello. Can you tell us again where your event is going to be? Uh, once you get tickets, you'll you'll get the exact address. Uh but it's going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area, in the North Bay. So if you're familiar with the North Bay, so in the Fairfield area. Are you writing this down for your friends? Well, someone in the chat was asking and I interrupted with my Norm Gooning comments. So. <laughs> I, I find it funny that people keep asking us to bring Norm Finkelstein on the show as if we've never done it before. <laughs> and I kind of want to ask those people, where were you three years ago when Norm wasn't getting played anywhere? Right. And we were, you know, thinking we were going to get banned from TV because Norm walked in the door calling Paul Prescott Talcum X. <laughs> Fuck were you guys? That is still priceless. I, I think I think at the peak of that show, we might have had 70 people watching. 
You weren't even part of the channel at the time. No. The original Saturday crew was there. Angela was there. Angela was there. Shout out to Angela. She actually sent a nice message to me and Pascal uh, the other day about uh, us covering the uh, George Bush documentary. Oh, nice. Yes. I miss Angela. She was fun on the show. She was. Um, also, we'll be going in the champagne room tonight. If you'd like to join, if you'd like to have access to champagne rooms past and present, if you'd like to be in the live virtual audience for the Pascal Robert hosted Mal Mal Hour, if you'd like to get the audio-only podcast one day early, there's only one way. Become a patron for as little as $3 a month or $30 for the year. It can all be yours. If you just want to make sure we stay on the air, become a patron. <laughs> I don't know. That's, it's, it's, that's true. It's truer than people want to. Well, real quick. Glass Shank says, this video made you double that one. Cedric is the real draw. Oh. Uh, before we bring our first real quick special guest and I always have to say this I discovered Cedric I don't know if it was from watching him or Michael Brooks I watched him somewhere he was on somebody's show <laughs> and I went down a rabbit hole trying to read whatever I could find on him so I could be prepared and I interviewed him back when I was still an audio only podcast doing it in the studio and I was really nervous and that was one of the most fun conversations I've ever had. And it was kind of like the epitome of why I do this is to have those level of conversations. Because one thing that this man has brought to me, despite what you may think in the piece, by the way, I have a new piece out in Damage Magazine, the man who sold the world about how Anti-racism and BLM was used to neutralize the left, but his very sober analysis of BLM helps me put certain things into perspective. Even when I'm writing, when I'm thinking about topics for this show, um, he's not just like a cool dude because I've gotten to hang out with him and laugh a lot. But it's just those perspectives that are so, that analysis, it's so, I don't want to just say sobering, but it's, there's something about it. You're like, yeah, that's fair. Because sometimes you just want to be angry. You know, I do a show with Pascal. We're both like, the reason why we get along is we both have a fuck that attitude, right? Tucson's been around it. <laughs> <laughs> and Cedric is very even with his, with his criticism. Like, you can't read after Black Lives Matter and, uh, and go fuck this guy you really can't that's why i was kind of upset when i read uh, like a bad review <laughs> but speaking of other projects the biggest project that i've ever undertaken since shit going on tour maybe doing one of these live shows is doing this feature length movie and one of the things that we were going to give or we're going to give to the people that donated at a certain level was a poster and one of the people that watched this show hit me up and said, hey, man, do you have a design for the poster? I said, I don't have a design yet. And I wasn't quite in panic mode. <laughs> but I was kind of in panic mode. And uh, we talked about what it's about because he's never seen even the first draft of the movie. 
he saw the trailer, he talked, and I think he came up with a fucking awesome design. And I want to share that with you guys right now. Do you see it in the thing, Tucson? I took away all your ratchet photos of hip-hop bitches. Women. Get too comfortable sometimes. (laughs) Don't want to let that real guy out. Can you see it? Is it showing? Oh, there it is. That is the poster for Hey Fabe, which I had to write a whole new section for. Oh, I'm happy and frustrated all at the same time. But I'm really excited for you guys to be able to see this. But let's bring in the man that, that uh, designed this poster. Please welcome, put your hands together, TIR audience, for Andrew Mulhern. Uh, really good to be here and talk about a little bit of the thought process that kind of went into making the poster. Yes. Um, so I, I come from the editorial illustration world. Uh, we like suffer like magazines and newspapers. And for those projects, we have a lot of things that we really can't like. There's no picture that kind of works for it. It's like kind of about after talk. It's like you know, like lots of financial stuff and things that you can't really kind of. Oh, here's a good stock photo. Oh, here's a good photo. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to really use like lots of creative concepts and ideation. So Jason's like uh, project, uh, the film Kayfabe about how, you know, how like the, the rise of wrestling and how kind of like, news media, yeah. yeah, and that kind of, it's kind of right up my alley because like, you know, there's not, there's not really a good, you know, kind of stock image or a good photo that kind of, like, it kind of works for it. So I, I was able to kind of, I, I hit him up because I thought it was a really cool project and we talked and yeah and i started putting together sketches and eventually i kind of came up with this idea of like having masks like drama mask but like in the side made to look like bernie and trump yeah and i was gonna have it as like a kind of a a spot illustration kind of having like you know the kind of object and having it in between text like kind of the old wrestling posters but then i I thought to put them on actual wrestlers like one kind of dominating the other and i thought Mm -hmm. that was a compelling photo Oh, no, no, let's 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 see it again. You know, sorry for the audio only listeners, but uh, you're going to have to watch this on on YouTube. But uh, this poster, I was really stoked about when I saw it. And uh, Andrew was giving me um, all the little sketches he was working on all up to the to the final thing. And then we talked about, like, let's have it be an old style wrestling looking poster. And this is what people are going to get. The director and I and, you know, hopefully Andrew, too, will all sign it and, and mail it off. As soon as they're printed up. And anything else you want to shout out, Andrew? Oh, there you go. Anything else you want to shout out, Andrew, before we bring in Cedric? Oh, yeah. Uh, just really quick. I'm part, part of a fundraiser. I have like a painting of the journalist Shreen Abu Akleh, who was killed by IDF snipers uh, about a year ago. I did a portrait of her then. And right now I'm raising money for, uh, or I'm, there's an option raising money for Palestinian relief that I'm doing. Um, and yeah, it's the, the play, the, it's on Instagram, it's called Books for Palestine. Like the, the handle is at books underscore Palestine. Can you send us a link? The option there. Can you send us a link in the private chat Ooh, on the bottom yep, of the screen? Yeah. And then, uh, Tucson, I'll, I'll send it in. Yeah. That, that just goes directly to the listing. Oh, perfect. We'll, we'll, 
wherever you are listening or watching the show, there's going to be a link in the chat, and definitely I'll put a link in the comments to this as well. Anything else you want to shout out before we go, Andrew? Uh, nope, that's it. Uh, thank you for having me on and letting me talk about this uh, project. It was really fun working with you. I'm really happy I got to be a part of it, and good luck with the movie. I can't wait to see it. Andrew, thank you so much for uh, for all of your help, brother. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna shout out this auction as much as we can. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Take care, man. Have a good one. Now let's bring in the man that is a big reason why this show is what it is with Pascal Robert. Because of him, I met Teray. Because of Teray, we got Pascal. So Cedric is the black key. And before I bring him in, I want him to know this. I want to I want to remind everyone of this. I hope his kids are watching. Anytime you have a question about anyone in Negronia, Cedric has an answer. I had a question about a very small figure in the black British left. Michael X. Michael X. Teray, who is Michael X? I have no idea who it is. Ask my pops. My pops knows everything. Adolf, who's Michael X? I n- never heard of the nigga. <laughs> Cedric, who's my? Oh, Michael X. <laughs> His mom was a left-handed fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What, what you need to know? <laughs> Please welcome Cedric Johnson. Brother, thank you so much for coming on today and helping helping out. Sure thing. Glad to be here. Um, Tucson, be entertaining while I turn my phone on. Be entertaining. Wow. Well, Cedric, <laughs> it's good to see you again. <laughs> good to see you, too. What, what I can't really see, but to hear you, I should say, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been sharing any cool videos lately? Have I been? Any that I could like talk about on here? No, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I remember you as, the aficionado, the connoisseur of all of those kind of graduate videos. (laughs) (laughs) Usually I'm just the intermediary, right? Other people have sent them to me, so then I'm passing them along, right? I can't fully claim responsibility for them. It's a good answer. Good answer. Yeah. All right. Well, the phone lines are up. Uh, If you have anything to say, area code 510-319-1899. Again, that is 510-319-1899. Cedric, I was rereading your conclusion in after black lives matter again before the show mm-hmm. and i was thinking about what i just wrote because i'm gonna have to start doing you know some appearances on it pretty soon and i'm sure people are gonna have some some things to say right not too happy <laughs> michael x is a big spurs <laughs> um there's something that you you know you you do bring up that with the rise of Black Lives Matter, we do start to look at policing different. And I think sometimes people get a little too dismissive 
uh, of them, do you think there's something that we should be looking at as a positive with BLM to some extent? Uh, I mean, look, I think uh, right now with the, the siege on, on Gaza, you know, some of these BLM folks have been on the front lines, you know, uh, offering the criticism that we need. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that the people here in Chicago have been taking a lot of heat for their posts and for sharing, you know, information about um, what's actually happened on the ground. And so, you know, I think there's, you know, that we can easily criticize the the celebrities that have emerged as a result of BLM. But, you know, they are activists and, and have always been activists before BLM was a, a thing who have been, you know, fighting a good fight at the grassroots level, local level. And um, I'm careful not to reduce it all to to uh, the people we don't like. <laughs> you know, the, the, well, have, you, have you checked out Vincent Bevin's new book at all? Nah, no, nah, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, do you know who he is or? Nah, I'm not. I'm not up on it. Okay, Who's you made this? it sound like y'all had beef at first. Like, nah, nah. <laughs> nah, I ain't read Vince's book. Which which book is this? I, I fucked it. <laughs> he wrote the book, The Jakarta Method. That was popular two, three years ago. He has a new book out kind of about uh, about mass protests globally in the 2010s. I guess that nah. was the most mass protests we've had globally. And uh, he's pretty critical. I don't know the name yeah. of it. What's, do, do, you know, do we know the name of it, Tucson? Uh, I can pull it up. This <laughs> is a new show segment, Cedric's Beefs. Beefs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's called what now? It's called If We Burn, The Mass Protest Decade and the Missing Revolution. Oof. Oof. Yeah. I know you haven't read the book. I haven't read the book. I just heard him on a friend's podcast. He was on the Bunga cast uh, today. And they had a kind of a great conversation about that. I've I've had I've had definitely some feelings about protests. Actually, our first conversation was during a lot of the, the George Floyd stuff, and I definitely had right. about it even then. Um, what do you think, just kind of off the top, about the 2010s and all these mass protests that we saw? Um, because not much really came of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, so the quick, the quick thing, let me say something... Uh, critical about it, then something positive, right? So that would be the, the immediate thing. It's nothing really came of it. That this was, you know, a lot of mobilization, you know, in some cases unprecedented in size and scale. Um, but a lot of uh, decentralized, um, unfocused activity, right? So where, what was the end game? So we've had protests without necessarily having real left political parties or national organizations that could consolidate all of that energy into something that could win. Um, so I think that's been the big problem, right? And, and there's, an, there's an aversion to that, right? I mean, among many Americans and certainly many people on the left who don't really see state policy as, as, a, uh, as a goal, right? We're not trying to capture state power. Um, 
people are irritated when you can bring up those sorts of questions. So I think that's one of the the problems. Uh, on the flip side, though, I mean, it's been better, you know, seeing people who are out on the streets and becoming politicized. So maybe my most optimistic self would say that, you know, we, we have yet to see the uh, implications of a lot of the protest and the, the uh, activity that happened in the 2010s. And even in this, you know, this last decade, um, so so that would be the optimistic thing would be like, you know, they may be this may be like putting seeds in the ground. Right. You're not going to see them sprout up right away. Mm -hmm. um, but perhaps, you know, uh, this is all additive. Right. That there are people who became politicized through Occupy who are now much more committed to socialist politics than they were back when they first showed up for those demonstrations. Right. There are people who became involved in Black Lives Matter who may not have had the, mat the maturity or the, the clarity that they needed, but as they participated over these last few years, they've moved in a different direction. So that's the professorial side of me that knows that I've watched, you know, people come through my door who, um, who don't have a politics, right? Or who say things that are, you know, pretty backwards when you meet them, just like I did when I was the same age. Um, but over time come to some good, you know, good places and, and some clarity. So that's the best that I could hope for. But I think it has been a lot of, of uh, major protests without a whole lot of, of um, you know, delivery of, of actual goods. Do you think that sometimes these movements, and this is one of the things that Bevins talks about in the book, that sometimes you just get too large. And also media plays such a pivotal role now. And, you know, that's the reason why I wanted to make a whole feature-length documentary about the way we consume media right slightly different than chomsky's you know book about manufacturing it's, it's, it's a little it's, it's kind of along the same lines but it's more about I, for me personally mm -hmm. i think it's a more contemporary lens on the way we dissect what we see and how we see what we see right and right. using the the kayfabe theory Mm -hmm. um, which is something that's kind of always in motion and for right. to even be working, you do need reality. Right. So it's not like there's a conspiracy theory and everybody's working, pulling strings. It's like, no, right. there's real things that are happening in the world, but how are you presented? Um, these, these protests, um, they brought up Brazil and in 2013, there were these protests to make public transportation free. And it was led by anarchists and and uh, and young like punks, like young leftists. Mm -hmm. um, and that whole movement kind of got co-opted by people that would later become Bolsonaristas. Right. Um, the way they handled like a nationalist sentiment of the people that came to protest, because the way the news was portraying it was like, these people just mad about whatever. Mm -hmm. Kind of the way. Occupy starts off as kind of an honest portrayal of the 99%, and then the reporting devolves into it's just homeless people and, and right. ne'er do wells effing up the parks. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, look, here's another thing that always irks me about it. And I remember saying this to people back like in the, in the 2010s, you know. Um, how much of this protesting actually translating into moving people 
who are not at the protests, right? So I think that's mm. a bigger issue, right? Like, does it change the opinion of your uncle or the, the guys in the barbershop who've never been to a protest or, you know, the people you graduated high school with who went straight into the military, right? Does it change their opinions or is this just sort of something that we do? You know, a lot of people participate in it, but it doesn't really trickle you know, around or, or diffuse in a way that it, it, it affects other people, right? And I think that's the bigger issue because, you know, you can you can turn out a lot of young people to protest, right? I mean, in, these, in this day and age, especially with social media, you can turn people out to be upset about something, um, but does it really translate into uh, a politics that sticks, right? A politics that's about sustained engagement that goes beyond you know, the spectacle. Um, so I think, and I think that ties in a lot to what you're saying about, about mass media, right? I mean, how much of, of protests in the age of, you know, after George Floyd is really about the Instagrammable moment more mm. than it is about mm. settling in with people, uh, where you live, people you work with, folks you're connected to, people whose opinions might not be progressive, right? How much of it is about that? Like trying to impact that particular kind of, of environment. I don't think much of it, right? I think a lot of it is about the, you know, we used to call them weekend warriors back during the war on, war on terror period. The guy who jumps in the SUV with his big coffee and drives to the next protest, but doesn't really have much impact on the community he lives in, right? You know, so I think that's that phenomenon is still with us. Um, yeah. And I always use that when I'm talking to students, you know, and, and, and activists and other people. Like, can you talk about your politics with your, your family? Right. I know people say avoid the Thanksgiving Day conversations, but I think that's the real test. You know, can you talk about your socialist politics, your, um, you know, pro-Palestine politics with those folks, right? With people who, you know, who, who made you and the people who you're connected to through work and your neighborhood and everywhere else. So we got to get there. I don't think we're there yet. Well, we have gotten to a phone call. And I look, I love what you just said. I'd love to go off on that. But we have a phone call. Toussaint, you want to push that call through? Sure. And you're going to say the thing? Calling from a 410 area code. Caller, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, this is Cullen calling from Baltimore. Hey! Hey, um, What's up, so there's been an interesting turn of events. Hey, sorry, am I? Uh, You're on. Speaking of turn, go for it. Go for it. Great. Uh, first, I want to say uh, love revolutionaries to race leaders. Um, such an important book on political history. I recommend it constantly. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, there's been an interesting turn of events uh, for those of us who uh, have been maybe critical of uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates um, and uh, certainly his framework of reparations, mm -hmm. um, especially in that it upheld the Zionist experience as a sort of model. Um, 
and and he really perpetuated the the falsehood that uh that you know Israel was reparations for the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had a problem with that. I've had a problem with him in general. I'm sure we share a lot of those uh, critiques. Um, it is interesting that he has come around and become an outspoken uh, advocate for Palestine recently. Um, he did do somewhat of a mea culpa uh, on on that piece of his reparations argument, though I don't think that goes far enough. Um, but uh, what, what's your assessment in terms of, you know, we need all the help we can get, uh, you know, fighting this battle, but mm-hmm. also the potential opportunism uh, of it? For sure. Now, thanks so much for the question and, and thanks for the kind words about uh, revolutionaries to race because I really appreciate that. Um, so I'll say two things about Coates, right? I mean, I'm happy he's on this side now, right? I'm happy he's on the right side of, of history in this moment. Um, I'm troubled by the fact that he had to, he had to go there, right? He had to go to uh, Palestine. I think he was there for a writer's uh, conference. And, and it's during that moment that he has this conversion. And he realizes that this is very much like Jim Crow segregation, South African apartheid, that is very much the same uh, scenario. Um, I'm glad he got there. I don't understand how he could be almost 50 years old as a black person who grew up in Baltimore and just arriving at that position now. I mean, I I remember hearing people make pro-Palestine arguments um, in the Nation of Islam back in the 1980s, you know, when I was like an 18, 19 year old. So uh, I think it's odd that, that he only reaches that place now. I also think that what he said earlier with respect to reparations was more of a, I remember hearing people make that same argument. It was more of a, well, whites did this when it came to other whites who had been wronged through the Holocaust, right? They they helped them to set up a, um, you know, a homeland. They provided restitution to victims, you know, of, of the Holocaust. Why can't it be done for? for Blacks. And so I want to go back and look at what he said in those earlier reparations pieces, but I always thought he was making more of a um, a rhetorical claim, right? I know people went after him. Like, I think there was an article, uh, Electronic, Electronic Intifada went after him for the things that he said back then. But I know he made comments, you know, in talks and, uh, and elsewhere that seem to suggest the pro-Zionist uh, position I don't think it really ran that deep. I think it was just more one of those, those, you know, um, if it was done for them, why couldn't it have been done for for us, right? So that was the extent of it. And that was a pretty common argument you hear from reparations advocates going back to at least, you know, the 1990s. You heard people making that same sort of claim. So I don't think it was that deep. If he did say that Zionism was the model, that's totally wrong. and it's again, it's odd that he would arrive at this point now, so late in the game, as if he hasn't been paying attention to, you know, uh, so many other developments. You know, going all the way back to, um, you know, uh, Oslo, and even before that, right? I mean, going back since before he was even born, right? So the Six Day War. There's all sorts of his history there that should have been a part of his analysis and. 
to me, the best reparations advocates we could point to, people like uh, Randall Robinson, you know, the late Randall Robinson, the late uh, Ron Walters, who was my dissertation advisor, these guys drew a sharp distinction. They were in favor of uh, compensation to victims of the Holocaust, but they were defiantly and clearly um, anti-Israel, right, and pro-Palestine. So I think that's a that's a very it's a very clear distinction that earlier generations of Pan-Africanists and pro-reparations folks made. It's odd that some of that didn't show up earlier in in um, Coates's work, but I, I can't explain it. I mean, I'm not him, so I can't quite explain why he would he would uh, have such a late breaking, um, you know, revelation about all of this. It's, it's pretty odd to me still. It's like he wasn't even watching Democracy Now! in 2018. Right. Or like, I mean, look, every urban street fair going back to like the 1980s, People were selling kafias and wearing them, right? What the hell, man? You never, you never saw anybody, <laughs> you know. You never talked to anybody um, who had just converted to to Islam, who was talking about Palestine. I mean, it's just the whole thing just seems uh, odd to me. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in in Louisiana, right? And I had a sense of Palestine. How'd you grow up in Baltimore and not have some some exposure to? The wire, man. The progressive. The wire. The progressive argument, you know? <laughs> Look, Tiny's folks <laughs> grew up trying to, you know, they had to, the rent had to be paid. There were babies crying in a bit a little bitty kitchen with a TV with an antenna hanging out of it, and he had to sell heroin. So he wasn't <laughs> not concerned about global affairs. That was his life. Heroin was, done. was it though? But was it? No. <laughs> no one's life. I know. <laughs> I know. The movies make you think it's everybody's life. And it's like, right, right, right. No. no, you need to go somewhere where life is like city of gold and like, holy shit. Right. American ghettos are gorgeous. <laughs> no doubt, man. We have, we have a, a, another phone call, or did they call drop? That call okay. dropped, but we have another one. Oh, okay. Awesome. Do the thing, Toussaint. All righty. Calling from a 317 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from, caller? Uh, back from Indiana, uh, living out here in Brooklyn. That's for Indiana. The cheers are for Indiana. <laughs> Not for Brooklyn. <laughs> Shout out Dr. Claw. is the only one uh, that I think uh, is still tuning in as some has some nap town adjacent uh, proclivity. Um, how, how's everybody doing? We're all doing good. We're all doing good. What's your uh, What's your question for Dr. Johnson? Well, so here's the thing. I'm uh, still unloading my truck, uh, so don't have a question. I uh, just wanted to call and say uh, I look forward to uh, whenever I can go toe-to-toe with you on the uh, uh, fake-ass Coke machines. Um, bring some heat at MT for not coming to my birthday party that I didn't invite her to. <gasps> and uh, my uh, uh, shout out to Dr. Johnson is uh, uh, your book. Uh, I think uh, I think I'm comfy saying was my favorite read this summer. Um, and yeah, uh, it definitely 
the way you guys talk about everything, uh, exactly like you were saying, um, I'm hoping other folks are, uh, since we're all alienated as fuck, able to uh, bring some things up with the folks. I've had a fun time uh, rattle, rattling my mom and dad, who are lifelong Republican voters, uh, really since about 2020. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, love to all, uh, and, uh, hope, hope you guys have a better time getting good questions from folks that aren't unloading trucks right now. <laughs> well, hey, we appreciate everybody unloading trucks. I'm sorry MT didn't go to your birthday party, but if <laughs> Toussaint pulling him out of the goddamn house, if it wasn't for the live <laughs> she'd still be in the house. No doubt, no doubt. So I'm trying to. All right, guys. All right, have a good one. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Zach. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. See you. Bye. I'm trying to do a live book event in New York, and of course, once Kayfabe is done, we're going to be screening it in New York, and Toussaint may be there, but you won't know that it's her because she will come in a disguise. If you think I'm lying, if you're at the New York live show, she came in a disguise. I did. Is she gonna show up with a with a full on uh, luchador? MF Doom. <laughs> Keeping with the theme. <laughs> she came with the fucking MF Doom mask, and I was. Like, I did. Yeah. I did. What? That's there's no photos. There's no photos of this on the on the, the uh, There's no photos, huh? We're the worst, man. We're the, we worst. Are the worst. That crew, I will say this. The live show crew, a lot of fun people. Once this thing is over, it's like head to the bar. Right. So getting people to get a show. We have a I think there was about five of us that did a picture for the LA show. Mm. But New York. Do you even have any pictures in New York at all, Tucson? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. I lost my phone at one point. <laughs> you weren't even drunk. I wasn't even drunk, man. I came drinking that mask. <laughs> she did the whole meet and greet in the MF Doom mask. I did. <laughs> Commitment. Why are you drinking that mask? Isn't it like a half thing? Oh, not this one. <laughs> this one was more of a full one. Oh, you had the full. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. She was like, you will not know who I am. You probably won't even know I'm black. You could have used Did a straw. Did you have gloves? Did you use a straw? <laughs> <laughs> you see Cedric's commitment to the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody's got a commitment to something. Right. <laughs> A gang of those giant New York rats held up. Actually, that was the night. Me, you, Andy, Hannah Feldman. Who else was with us? Ben, Cuba. Big-ass New York rats. How do you people in New York do that with those big-ass rats? I saw a video of a rat with a BBL. (laughs) That's a Brazilian butt lift. Right. Scared me out of my mind. <laughs> it was so proud. Mm. People tuning in now, like I thought they were going to do a serious show. Fucker, you thought wrong. <laughs> you thought wrong. Did you ever come here looking for serious stuff? Right, we do man. have another call. 
We do, we do. Are you ready? Yep. Okay, I'm gonna push it through, and you got to say the thing. Say the thing. Calling from a two one six area code. Caller, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Well, this is Doctor Claw, and I'm calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. Salutations, Cedric, Jason, MT. It's a good day in Ohio. Um, we are projected to pass the uh, statewide initiative ballot on reproductive rights oh. and recreational mm. marijuana. Yes. Mm. Overwhelmingly in both cases. Yeah. Nice. Um, I, I, you know, it still opens the door for legislative fuckery, but I'm just glad that, you know, people came out to vote for both of those issues. Mm -hmm. um, we all know what the, the deleterious effects of reproductive rights restrictions can be in states. Just look one state to my left, Indiana, shout out to Zach, um, and many others. Um, and I have to say the wording in the issue two, which was for the recreational marijuana, I thought it was very well written. It has provisions for people to grow their own, and it's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of very responsible um, consumption, like you know, age restrictions, like you know, all kinds of things about rehab and things like that, as well as you know, leaving some space for some people to run some businesses. I, I imagine it's going to be interesting to see if that rolls out, goes through. But just the fact of seeing the people in this state which is not just red, at least in the statewide areas, but very autocratic. Like, mm -hmm. th th there's so much nonsense going on with the uh, with the um, districts, congressional districts and things like that in the state, um, and just more power, big and big power grabs. And every time it's put into the hands of voters here, Ohio says, no, nah, F you, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. And they did it again today. And it kind of just makes me think that, and we've seen this in Florida and some other states, if you you can see what happens when you don't, you have like a very important issue on the ballot and it's not tied to anything partisan. There's like no R, no D associated with it. And just you can see what you can get out of those situations. If you ask me that either things would pass given the way that the elected officials have been handling these things, I would have been like, you're crazy. I've been pleasantly surprised by my home state of 20 years. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm really good to see that. Um, now, uh, Cedric, I do have um, a comment to add to um, something you had mentioned about how um, surprising it was to see how long it took Tiny Heasy Coates to uh, realize the, you know, just the, at least the evil um, mm -hmm. in Israel as it relates to Palestine. Um, and the time you came up and, you know, I remember, and I was a small child. Right? Um, I remember when the, um, the South African, when there was the, uh, like the big political push to end apartheid in South Africa, mm -hmm. um, seeing so many of the older black people, um, you know, like in office and stuff like that, saying, uh, also mentioning Palestine, also being in support of the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at their 2023 counterparts 
And you got this fool, uh, what's his name? Hakeem Biggie quotes Jeffries. <laughs> he went from quoting Biggie, now he's quoting George Wallace. Israel, hey, bro. And Richie Torres, the less we say about him, mm. the better. Mm. Like, there's all these clowns are all over the Black Congressional Caucus nowadays. And it makes me remember um, one of the main reasons why there was so much targeting of the Black members of Congress, you know, mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s, when they started off with, um, you know, when they started off with uh, Julian Bond and tried to get him out of there so they could get John Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it cascaded later on to getting guys like, um, I think his name is Earl Hill, uh, Earl Hilliard from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, they tried multiple times to get him out of there and replace him with Arthur Davis. And, you know, Pascal talks about like the big five of, you know, the neoliberals' choices for black politicians, Cory Booker, Arthur Davis, uh, Harold Ford Jr., uh, Adrian Fenty, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 did I say Barack Obama already? Barack Obama? Yeah, so those guys. Mm-hmm. That's, I think this is one of the reasons why they did this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's it's been very it's these last couple of weeks have been very very few weeks it's just been very very disheartening to see so-called progressives um falling you know fall in line with the uh what i like to call the company line mm-hmm. on this issue including some people that we you know a lot of us watching the show and maybe some of us who are curious about these kind of politics can see some of the the people that we kind of you know looked up to or you know, had good faith in just completely capitulate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think an encouraging thing, much like this Ohio marijuana and reproductive rights thing, is that maybe not the people on the ground are maybe not just buying the, the propaganda the way they used to. Or when the propaganda is presented to them, it is, you know, given the, the Marcus Canby, get out of here, thumbs. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's something like that, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you a question yeah. back. So in, yeah, in Ohio, in, I was going to ask a question mm-hmm. about Ohio. So um, did they also put uh, expungement or exoneration of previously convicted uh, persons who've been involved in cannabis possession cases? Um, was that also a part of the situation? Uh, that's- now, that's the part that I'm still looking to see how they're going to handle that. Because I know one of the big, the bigger, you know, pushback against. First of all, the fact that this won so overwhelmingly is also a surprise because they didn't promote it at all. They, you know, there's lawn signs and all commercials about issue one all over the place. But issue mm-hmm. two, not a peep. Sherrod Brown wouldn't mention. It. Nobody else would mention it. And, but, because of the way it was written, that's one of the things I'm looking into. Because it is supposed to be not only a legalization, but a decriminalization bill or criminalization ballot initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have not seen what they will, I, I have not taken a look into um, how it is going to handle those who are already on the business end of the criminal justice system with regards to this. I mean, if there's any reason to support legalization and decriminalization, um, of recreational marijuana. It is to end this, these quote-unquote petty crimes. Mm-hmm. People get bagged for using. You know, it's just it's, it's just one of the biggest grips 
like near where I live, there's a town, or if you can call it that, it's a little community, <laughs> incorporated community called Reminderville. And if you figure out, if you learn the reason why they're even a town that symbol size is able to incorporate and become a community, it's because years ago they did this massive drug bust and the feds gave them all this money as a result of that. And ever since, it's become one of these, like, you know, neat little bedroom communities that's been funded on the drug war. So I'm, mm. I'm really interested to see how this, this plays out in, in this day. But, um, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Um, you know, uh, Cedric, I'm really, uh, you're one of the people that I really feel pushes the, the gives you the, the data points to really start these discussions that I want to have with the people around me about the way things go. Because, you know, in the absence of those kind of data points and just things you can talk about, you know, and you're not going to sit there and talk to people and give them the PowerPoint presentation about stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But when you talk to them, you can kind of redirect them off of some of the wild stuff that you hear, like, you know, especially the stuff I've been seeing online. And to be honest, and I know Steve, who might be in the chat, knows it's not just online <laughs> sometimes with these folks. Like, there's a lot of, but I feel like there's a lot of problematic stuff. Like, we're seeing the next generation of the fat back and biscuits crew um, being groomed right before our eyes, like in Chicago. Right. There's one dude who I saw out there, I won't mention names, but there's one dude I saw out there, I won't mention names, um, that uh, <clears throat> got caught with his hands in the Paul Vallis cookie jar. Mm -hmm. And now they're instigating and, and, and agitating this whole conflict between people in the black working class of Chicago mm -hmm. against the current mayor over this issue of what to do with the, the immigrants that are coming, mm -hmm. migrants that are coming into the city. And I just, the thing that frustrates me the most about this formation of political politics is that um, people don't sit back and realize what happens, you know, what lots of the migrants have relative to their own lot. You know, it's very much the same. And it's probably worse in some ways where, mm -hmm. um, you know, not like they're being given like, you know, the greatest job opportunities, housing opportunities, any of these things. Um, and to see people out there carrying water for the, the Chicago neoliberal order, which has done nothing but bulldoze stuff in the names of gentrification and just, you know, cleaning up the city so more rich people can take over stuff and then just privatizing everything over and over, like the school system and everything. It just really ticks me off to see people, younger people, carrying water for those kind of politics. I don't know what y'all think about that. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to leave it there, Dr. Claw. Thank you very much for the call. All right. All right. Thanks. Uh, y'all later. We'll see you in the champagne room, brother. Cedric? No, that was great. I mean, um, I'm excited as well. Whenever I hear about the uh, the kind of ballot um uh, outcomes you have in places like Ohio. Uh, my, my concern about the expungement and exoneration is that we've seen that in some states where, you know, it, you turn it over and it becoming a, a cottage industry, right, and a, and a boom for investors. And then all of the low-level offenders from decades still stay in jail, right, as a result of, of this. And I just see that as, as fundamentally um, 
you know, just wrong. Or they're, um, or they're, they're, they're not able to get in on the industry. Right. Um, right. I know or just get out of jail, <laughs> get, get out, out of prison. Of yeah. <laughs> get out let's, of prison. Let's say you let them out, and let's say that let's say that you already served your time. Let's say you did t- ten years. Oh, they still can't. In can the nineties, right? right? And you can't enter because you're a felon. So depending right. on how they were there, I know Oakland tried to change that, and they're like, "Look, man, there's too many of y'all that went down, and we're going to give you guys right. some few little benefits here and there if you if you have a felony conviction for uh for marijuana." Yeah. And, and even there, I mean, I, I had a conversation with some students years ago, uh, and these were like movers and shakers, like mm-hmm. leaders on campus. And um, they had this idea of wanting to get like minority contracting or minority, you know, quotas as far as how many new dispensaries would be open, that they would have minority control. And that in and of, in and of itself was problematic because, you know, you got to have so much money, you know, and I said to them, I was like, this is really just it's not a, it's not going to be an entrepreneurial game. This is going to be like big tobacco all over again. And they looked at me like I was crazy because this is Chicago, right? People in Chicago really are about uh, entrepreneurship and black business development. And um, they just couldn't see it. They were like, what are you talking about? Like, of course, we need to get in on this game because this is going to help, you know, people come up. But um, you know how much yeah. a pound of weed is from California? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You niggas selling that shit for five thousand for end <laughs> right? But yeah, needless to say, it hasn't been a whole lot of progress in that direction. I mean, you know, if anything, I think we should be using we should just be using regular plugs anyway. We shouldn't be dealing with these these big corporations. Um, I just want to say that Dr. Yeah. Claw is by far one of my favorite callers. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of my favorite people that have been watching the show for a long time. And in listening to him talk, I was like, "Don't Doctor Claw sound like, like the brother-in-law that you? <laughs> it's like your favorite brother-in-law. <laughs> that even even when they get in a fight, him and your sister, you're like, I'll hey, he stays. Right. <laughs> you can go. You he's but still he's, he's still coming <laughs> to the house for Thanksgiving. This niggas right. are part of the fantasy football league. Yeah, yeah. He coached day day softball. Stop. He's you were the one with the problem. He's part of the family. Yeah. That's Dr. Claw. Dr. Claw. <laughs> we have no idea what he looks like, but I feel like he's got a, a curly fade with a nice gold chain. <laughs> a big beard. A big beard. Yeah, like t- Dr. Claw looked like Teddy Pendergrass before the accident. Teddy oh. Pendergrass. All that's right, a, that's, with a, that. that's a pretty good look, though, right? <laughs> All his shirts is pressed. That's a timeless look. You know what I'm saying? Timeless. <laughs> Dr. Claus still got hair. Five dollars say Dr. Claus still got hair. Right. Pissing everybody off. That's why he's everybody's favorite brother-in-law. Yeah. He always introduced him as that. He's been divorced from your sister for eight years. Oh, that's my brother-in-law right there. Yeah. We got one more caller. I one think they call. can make it quick. Okay, do the thing. Wait a minute. Do the thing now. Calling from a 773 area code. Caller, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, guys, it's Spencer. How are you doing, Cedric? Spencer! Spencer's not going to make this quick. He's not. (laughs) (laughs) This is Spencer Leonard. I can if I if you want it to be quick. Are you running out of time? 
we got Cedric on a pitch. He got us. He gave us a pitch count. So uh, what's what you got? What you got, Spence? Spencer? Ah, Spencer. Yeah, I, I was just gonna. I, I was just gonna ask him. Um, hey, Cedric, it's been a while. Yeah, um, no, it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, you know what you think about? You know, sort of where we are. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't hear the whole. Uh, podcast that I jumped on when I saw it, and you were you were sort of reflecting on this moment, um, mm. you know, and talking about you know last decade, decade and a half, mm-hmm. uh, at least going back to Occupy, um, you know. And I wanted it, it. seems like to me, you know, this you know, obviously this there's this sort of it, it feels like there's something going on with this Israel Palestine thing. You know, but, you know, you and I have been around the block. This happens a lot. Right. And right. things seem never to change. Um, and it's, it's a kind of a, uh, you know, the, the left loves it, right? So it's, there's sort of no, there's not a big debate. Um, and I don't really even want to talk about that. It, it's more that, you know, I feel like something's going to knock this off the, uh, news cycle in all likelihood, in all mm-hmm. likelihood, there isn't going to be a big Middle Eastern war. There isn't mm-hmm. going to be a grand resolution of the Palestine question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to be facing what we were facing before soon enough right. with the upcoming presidential elections and sort of the present state of the left. Um, and it seems like we're kind of on the other end of a big crisis. You know, with like the crisis in the party political system with Trump and Bernie, certainly the 2008 crisis, like pretty much in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the consequences of it all are still with us. Uh, the crisis of, of, say, the American world order going back to the anti war movement, definitely still with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I think you and I are about the same age, and and I wondered, you know, you know, what do you think the prospects are, uh, you know, for for making some kind of substantial advance towards socialism in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. and what do you think, um, you know, the, what do you think what you know we really need to be doing now, um, and I guess the one. You know, so a particular point I'd make about that or question I'd have for you is you, you know, like me are, are a teacher. Um, you know, what do you think about, you know, sort of the, the state of, of socialist intellectualism? You know, obviously that's not going to get us to socialism, mm-hmm. but it's something that you and I are going to be particularly interested in. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that. You got to hard out. Spencer, thank you so much for your call, and we miss hearing your voice, and we got to get you back on the show soon. Yeah, no, Spencer, thanks so much, man. That's great. That's like a... It's deep. Yeah, we might need another show just to deal with <laughs> just those questions. Right? Have a good night, Spencer. So many layers. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, I think we're in a, we're in a bad state, right? Um I do think that the 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 
current onslaught, you know, the bombardment of Gaza, you know, this this signs here, right? I mean, some of the contradictions are sharpening. Anytime the the American ruling class can line up behind Israel, but yet there's still like mass demonstrations like we haven't seen. Um, I would say that they probably rival those that we saw when the U.S. invaded um, uh, Iraq right after September 11th, right? So I think um, I think that the 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 country is changing. Um, to go back to Dr. Claw's earlier point about this kind of disconnect between where public opinion might be on progressive issues, you know, people support, you know, vast majority of Americans support access to abortion. They support gun control. Right now, the mass majority of Americans, even the majority of Republicans, support a ceasefire um, in this this conflict between Israel and Gaza. And I think there's that, right? That we have a this this you know millionaire Congress that is not aligned with the vast majority of Americans. I think there's a consciousness of that now that we didn't have in the 1990s, right? That there's a way a willingness of people to talk about it. And I mean, I think that's 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 important. I'm not saying that that's going to materialize necessarily in the kind of politics or or even state practices that we want. But there are signs. I mean, you know, over this last summer, we had pretty much a red hot summer of, um, you know, union organizing that swept mm-hmm. across the country and strikes that is, wasn't for nothing. Right. I mean, I think it, it reflects, um, you know, again, a changing mood in the country. The people in this country are in a different place than they were, uh, you know, um, 10 years ago. I think we can attribute that to a lot of different things, you know, including you know, things like the Sanders uh, campaigns, even though right now he's equivocating and not necessarily where we would want him to be on the question of of, uh, of Gaza. So I think there, there's, there's signs of, of hope. Um, I think we all have to look for those in this moment. But things can go terribly wrong right now. I mean, we're at a, we're at a place where I actually think that the the position that the White House is taking on Gaza could easily hand this back over to uh, to Trump, right? I mean, I just think that right now, um, this unequivocal support for Israel is going to suppress his numbers. Um, and if, if this lasts, right, uh, it's going to suppress his numbers in the places where it'll matter, right? It'll matter in Michigan. It'll matter in Wisconsin. It'll matter in other places where you have younger voters who care about these issues, Arab and Muslim communities that, that care about these issues, progressive uh, and radical left folks who will not turn out to support uh, Biden if he continues along this path. And so I just think we could end up with another uh, you know, time of Trump. And I think that would just be uh, disastrous for the country, right, you know, on so many levels. Um, and so that's what I'm concerned about, to be honest, is the potential for a consolidated Republican uh, fascist government, you know, in, in this country. I'm not saying that somehow, you know, Biden is better. We see where, where he is, but at least we know um, the train schedules are not being set up uh, under Biden just yet. Right. So I just think this is a this is an issue. Um, you know, there's, there's at least mo- room to maneuver and protest in the context we're in now. I don't think we'll have it in a, a, a Republican control of the national government. 
So there's, there's, there's moments of possibility right now. I think we need to capitalize on those. We should be, again, talking to people beyond our own safe and comfortable networks and engaging folks who uh, may be on the fence or just not aware or not really politicizing the ways that they should be. So that should be our task right now uh, is really trying to win, um, you know, win over. Minds. Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't use that. <laughs> no, you don't like it? I like it. Fuck it. Take it. It's okay. Take it back. <laughs> you can't say that. Ah, fuck off. <laughs> but no, we should be doing that. We should be doing that, right? Badass. Yeah. I, I don't know who I was talking to. I was like, this to me feels like the end of Empire Strikes Back. Ooh. You know, Luke got his arm. Gone. Cut off, yeah. And you're, you're, everybody was in retreat. The whole movie was everybody doing retreating Solo's and running. Frozen, the best character. Solo's done. <laughs> you got to get back and regroup and figure shit out. And that's that's how I'm looking at <laughs> last at this point right now. It's like, look, man, we were all scattered. Hoth right. was messing, which is 2020. Like we have right. to admit that 2020 is a is a big year on a lot of different levels. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I really. You know, in the piece, I talk about it, that moment that Bernie Sanders is speaking at a Medicare and Social Security rally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he gets the mic taken and, you know, it's like you don't have a black agenda. And I think a lot of people look to Bernie Sanders that maybe weren't into him at the time just because it was another old white man. Right. Practically. Right. That the explosion that they did in front of Bernie Sanders kind of just hit that home. And that wasn't the first time they had done that to him. They had done mm-hmm. it before. You know, earlier on, where they interrupted a, 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 a it wasn't a debate; it was more of a conversation. One of the rallies, yeah. Um, and that then becomes the conversation moving forward about you know a, a quote unquote black agenda, and then mm-hmm. George Floyd blows that into proportion, blows that into the whole of the stratosphere. And you know, we were talking about this, I think, off air. When you think about the people that come up during 2020. You know, all these initiatives, all this money that got poured into different things. It kind of goes back to one of the things that Pascal said the first time he was ever on air on this show, which is black power won culturally where it failed politically. Mm-hmm. And I think some people say, well, we got some people in office that are colored. It's like, OK, but <laughs> still colored. <laughs> they're colored. Yeah, you got some colored folks in office. We're bringing back a bunch of terms today. Colored is in the- Colored is one of them. Colored is one of them. You see the It's colored. It's colored, right? Um, and and still politically, I don't I don't know where it's winning because you think about people that came up, and I'm not just talking about the BLM people. You know, the people that got fat ass art grants. You know, business people got oh, yeah. a bunch of people got jobs they wouldn't have had beforehand. None of that stuff would have mm-hmm. helped George Floyd. Right. It wasn't for him. And the come up wasn't for him. Right. Um, it's in his name, but it's not really for him. It so did, it didn't help Colin Kaepernick either. Did it not? I don't know. <laughs> he's not, you know, he's not living out here next to me talking about man, I can't afford to pay no more. He's, <laughs> well, he's he was he wrote a letter begging to be on the practice squad for one of these teams. Look, man. <laughs> I'm, this, he's still paid. I'm not trying to say he's not no, paid. No, 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 no. I'm not even going to say that. This is my hot take. <laughs> and this is a take that can get me in trouble because I have 
personal people that I know. I'm going back to where I'm from on November 18th. There's people that I know in the Kaepernick camp. Mm. And I'm going to say this, and I hope this gets back to them. The worst thing that could happen to Colin Kaepernick is going back on an NFL football field. Mm. The moment you throw an incomplete pass, right. the moment you have a bad read, right. the moment you get a bad snap, the moment you get a miscommunication in your helmet, the moment you don't run when when you have an open lane and you're trying to make a big play downfield, which right. is literally right. what you're known for because you came out of college running for 5,000 yards and throwing for 10,000. Mm-hmm. The moment you make that error, you get the I told you so's. Right. You can't come back from that long gone. When Tim Tebow got traded away from the Denver Broncos and never played quarterback again, his career was done. Oh, yeah. It's like geriatric at this point, right? I mean, he can't play In football anymore. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're both around the same. I think Tebow's younger than Kaepernick. And, but, I don't know. That's a young, no. young guy sport, right? But if you if you think about the time that he missed, and granted, it's not 100% his fault, right? He His mm. play had declined right before the whole I'm just going to sit for the anthem thing happened. He was right. injured when that happened. And there's so much pressure. You know, my I, guy, one of my guys said that. He was like, if, he would, if his numbers would have been up, and he still was taking a knee. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like everything that happened to that guy, it was the worst stuff ever. And I think you shared with me that thing he was asking you on know, like practice call for like an XFL team or something. And I I think I think he could play. But I don't think Kaepernick can get the Mike Vick treatment. And Mike Vick was only out for about a year and a half. Oh yeah, no. Nah. Mm-mm. I think he's a he, he was a better quarterback before he got hurt than Mike Vick was, because also Mike Vick is like maybe six feet and Kaepernick is like six 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 five. He's a mm-hmm. big dude. Yeah, he has all the attributes you would want in that position. He played at a very high level. I mean, the guy went to the Super Bowl. He did. He was a play away. Yeah. From from literally making one of the greatest comebacks of all time that the Patriots later make, right? Yeah. That being said. All this time off in this hyper media world that we live in, even with sports, even with football, where it's just drama, drama, drama. I was listening to sports radio going to drop off my laundry today, and I heard a press conference with the Steelers where they said, your wide receiver, not Chase Claypool, who's with the Bears. I can't remember the wide receiver's name. Um took off all of his Pittsburgh stuff off of his social media. And apparently he didn't celebrate when someone scored a touchdown. What does this mean for the team? Mm. When has that ever been news? (laughs) It's ridiculous. And you want Colin Kaepernick, people want him to jump back into this fire. Right. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. I'd rather him coach, but you know, He's got the Nike contract. He's got the Netflix show. The the Disney arc can't he's be. Got a, he's got a book out. He's got some kind of Black Lives Matter book out. Abolitionist he book. He does. He's got a lot of shit. He's He'll like right. he's like Kendi with cleats. 
That should be your talk, man. That should be your talk when you go around. Jesus Christ. I really want all the also the cats I know are not little dudes. It'd be a bunch of like six, four foot nigga. So nigga, you don't wanna (laughs) (laughs) me? (laughs) NASA? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, that was Tucson. Oh, <laughs> You're laughing awfully hard. <laughs> Cedric, thank you for hanging out with us this evening. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Uh, that's around. <laughs> hey, and I was going to say, man, congratulations on all of this. This is a lot of good stuff happening for you. This is your season right now. You know what I'm saying? You got a new book, movie coming out. You know, and I want one of those posters. Wait a minute, I gotta get one. <laughs> I will. I will. I promise I will send you a poster. I also want to do a book thing in in Chicago. That place you showed me, Chicago, sure. looked super oh, dope. Oh yeah, bucket of blood. So so next year is the big is the big book run where I'm gonna be you know popping in all over the place talking crazy stuff about the the cultures of deconstruction and authenticity and how they work to neutralize any sort of movement the moment right. we're looking at right now that's why this story is so important right right well thank you so much cedric you have a very good night all right man that is tir favorite cedric cedric johnson um yes there's a movie coming out there's a called kayfabe it's a documentary it's full length and the director called me the other day, and he is a Haitian Jamaican. Oh. <laughs> that noise you made says it all. <laughs> he said, Buff, buff, buff. This bumper cloud chapter you got here, boy, don't really work. The transition not working. Buff, buff. Right. That is not how he sounds, actually. He sounds like a real director. And he said, hey, man, I'm putting everything together, brother. And uh... Hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> he, you, you can tell he doesn't want to tell me bad news. And uh, he goes, it's just the transitions. Uh, it's not it's not really it's not really working. I think we need to rework this. And uh you know, a thousand words later. <laughs> you know, it was an hour and a half where it was. <sighs> Make it a fucking three-part series. Fuck it. So I'm I'm excited for, for all this. But thank you guys. We're going to head into the champagne room. The link is already up. As Steve said, let's go get ignorant in the champagne room. I found some videos. There's two videos that I found that are very important. Number one, I found Sexy Red's first single. Very important. Archival material. This other video that has destroyed my algorithm. Destroyed my algorithm. Was it a rat with a BBL? No, but I'm so mad at you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) This little plump thing just...
<laughs> Probably was a Puerto Rican too, talking hell of shit. <laughs> talking hell of shit. Because <laughs> that's what Puerto Ricans say. <laughs> Puerto Ricans are just running around New York quoting fucking. Quoting Big Pun and Fat Joe all the time. He said that in the middle of little interview. <laughs> Man, I just was asking if you have extra napkins. <laughs> oh my God. We're, we're early. We're early for the, for the champagne room. <laughs> Gaspar says, I can't make out what's going on, but I'm Boricua and I, maybe I should be offended. <laughs> Somebody, I want to say it was Andrew. Is that Andrew hit me because you just a Puerto Rican on your show. Who was Puerto Rican on the show recently? Jill. Oh, that's right. You know why? Because I didn't see her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dr. Claus said the link isn't up. Damn. Okay. I'm going to go put the link up. You guys go to Patreon. If you're not a patron, go go become a patron. We're going to have fun in the champagne room. Patreon.com slash Bitter Lake presents. Let's go have some fun. Let's giggle a little. <laughs> Talk about Tucson's Puerto Rican rats that only speak in big pun. <laughs> <laughs> Not even JLo. They just speak big pun. God. <laughs> and you just hear Beat Nuts Beats playing. It's big pun. But it's Beat Nuts Beats playing as they walk around. That is literally what I think of when I think of New York. Is that <laughs> racist? It's something. Oh, good. <laughs> Again, I think Steve is right when Steve said that's why white people won't let you on their show no more, Jay. Yep. You might be right. On that note, we are out. <laughs> <laughs>